Let us pray. Silence now in us any voice but your own gracious God. And as the flowering trees are bursting forth with beauty, so might your word burst forth in our lives, in our spirits, in our souls, in our hearts, in our living, that we may hear and respond and follow you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to John, the 31st through the 35th verses of the 13th chapter. Let us hear God's word. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember learning a song in my youth, a church song, that has remained deeply ingrained within me as much as almost anything. It finally made it into the new hymnal. We're not going to sing it this morning unless the Spirit bursts forth or something like that. It has four verses. We have amended them slightly over the decades, given our new understanding of language. I think when the hymn was written, it was meant to be sung with guitar accompaniment around some church campfire somewhere with s'mores. (laughs) Or in one of those slightly musty conference center assembly halls that define my church youth. Maybe yours as well. We are one in the Spirit, we sang. We are one in the Lord, and we pray that all unity will one day be restored. We will work with each other. We will work side by side and will guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And after each stanza was this refrain. I'm sure it's an earworm in your heads, many of you already. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Very 1970s, to be sure. Reflecting an era and a moment and a time, an aspiration, a vision. And yet it's more than that, isn't it? They'll know we are Christians by our love. Liturgically, we're living in a time after Easter. We live always now in a time after Easter. But biblically this morning, we live in the moments just before the events that we remembered several weeks ago. In John's Gospel, Jesus is telling his followers, after Judas has left the room, that he will be betrayed, 
that he will be crucified. And the disciples are incredulous and scared to death. And Jesus seeks to comfort them, telling them that the Holy Spirit will come to give them what they need after he is gone. But this morning he's got other things on his mind. I give you a new commandment, he tells them. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Then he goes on to say, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Or as we sang in my youth, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Now, it seems to me we have confused or simply gotten wrong over the course of the story of religion in America some very fundamental notions. We have made religion in many ways about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship that is designed primarily to earn us our salvation, to punch our heavenly ticket. And I would never say that's unimportant. How you connect with Jesus matters, how I connect with Jesus matters. But to read the Bible and to focus on the Gospels is to discover this communal experience. And it's to notice that much of the time Jesus is concerned about this moment, this here and now moment. So you have on one hand a communal relationship that matters now and on the other a private relationship that focuses on the hereafter, which seems too simple, and it is, but you get the point. Another mistake has been the privileging of doctrine or dogma or belief to the exclusion of ethics and response and behavior. Now, again, what we believe matters, but did my seminary degree wouldn't be worth very much this morning. But theology is, at its best, designed to teach us and to guide us and to clarify confusion, not to make confusion worse, not to sort these people from these people. We've turned religion into a set of qualifications. You need to believe this about this or this about that and you're in, and if you don't, you're out. And again, that's way too simple as well. But you get the point. So the caricature becomes a disciple of Jesus as one who knows they are saved, who acts like it, who ignores the world around them, and who checks off all the right belief boxes. Now, that may or may not have been your faith experience growing up, but it's certainly a faith experience with which we are familiar. A caricature of religion, to be sure. And at the same time, it plays itself out these days in the public arena, in our politics, and in our church debates. And, of course, you can read the Bible and attend to the words of Jesus and be sent in all sorts of directions, even in the ways we relate to him and connect with him and believe things about him. So Jesus matters, yes. Theology matters, yes. Yet this morning, as he is preparing to have his last meal with his friends, as he is laying the groundwork for what life will look like when he is gone, he tells them this. 
People will know you are my follower. People will know you are my disciple if you love one another. Not by what you say about me, not by what you believe, not even if you love me, but have love for one another. Elizabeth Johnson writes, on the one hand, loving one another as Jesus has loved us encompasses the mundane. It means serving one another, even in the most menial menial tasks. On the other hand, this love encompasses heroic acts of great risk. It extends even to the point of giving one's life for another. The love of which Jesus speaks and which Jesus demonstrates in his life and his death is a love which extends from the mundane to the heroic and encompasses every kind of self-giving act in between. Then Johnson says this, Jesus could not be clearer. It is not by our theological correctness, not by our moral purity, not by our impressive knowledge that everyone will know that we are his disciples. It is quite simply by our loving acts, acts of service and sacrifice, acts that point to the love of God for the world made known in Jesus Christ. David Lowe's asked what it would look like if we take seriously that love is at the center of our faith. He also wonders why we sometimes find it so hard to love. What would this love look like, Lowe's asks. It won't be perfect. It won't look like the ways that Jesus loved and loves us. But he reminds us that we don't have to do it perfectly to do it meaningfully. We don't have to do it perfectly to do it meaningfully. So then Janet Hunt asked this question, how might we love one another on a Sunday morning and a Tuesday afternoon and a Thursday morning? In the workplace, in our neighborhoods, at school, on the ball field. How can we begin to love each other even better than we have before, even if we are not especially friends with each other? Even then, she says, especially then. Well, I don't know about you, but it has been difficult for me to think about love these days, even this week. Shootings continue. Religious differences remain high. Faith is weaponized for the sake of political battle. And so to embrace a faith-based ethic of love is a challenge, even as Christ mandates us to do that. Now, to embrace that faith-based ethic of love does not mean that we will suddenly gather around a campfire and join hands and sing the happy songs of our youth. But it does mean that we will approach things differently, evaluate differently, and most importantly, engage differently. What would it look like for us to engage the issues that matter? Abortion or climate change, or public education, as if we love one another. My Facebook feed, and perhaps yours, has been a steady stream of prom and graduation pictures. Everyone looks fabulous. 
or they do on the surface at least, but we know and we remember whether in our own lives or the lives of our children, grandchildren. So I wonder what it would look like for us to support our youth and young people in what can be anxious transitional moments when issues of belonging and identity are ever at the surface. As if we love one another. Or, what would it look like for us to look at the ones with whom we are closest and might be in conflict, even estranged, and remind ourselves that we are called to love one another? Now, this ethic won't solve problems magically, won't make conflict go away, won't erase our sense of self-doubt, but it will reframe everything, everything. And if there's any doubt about that, the one who tells us about such things died for that vision, died for us. And then he was raised because of that vision. Reminding us that the love of which he speaks, the love he embodied, is stronger than any power, even death. So that we can work with each other side by side. We can walk with each other hand in hand. And they will know that we are Christians by our love, by our love, Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Amen.